Sad. The word of the year is sad, exclamation point. Welcome to Foreign Policy. I'm David Rothkopf, CEO and editor, and you're listening to the ER. I'm in Washington today, and we're joined by FP columnist Julia Yaffe, who also writes for Highline, which I'd love to know what Highline was, and will be joining The Atlantic in January. Also joining us is Keith Johnson, FP's deputy managing editor for news, and calling into the studio from Palo Alto is FP columnist Corey Shockey, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, where she focuses on military history. Thank you again to our dedicated ER nerds for continuing to submit ideas for episodes. Tell you what, instead of suggestions about future episodes, this week and next week we're talking about the best and worst things that have happened in 2016. If you have suggestions, send them to us. And if they're really, really good, we'll acknowledge them in the podcast at some point. Maybe you'll get a mug. We can never be sure about that. Recently, in our tiny podcast studio, high above Washington's DuPont Circle, and from Palo Alto, we had the following conversation. But first, I'm sorry, what's Highline? It is the long-form project inside Huffington Post. Ah, It's artisanal small-batch long-form journalism. Wow. Wow. I didn't even know there was anything inside Huffington Post, so it just goes to show what what I know. Um... Okay, so this week, we're going to look at all the bad stuff that happened in 2016, which shouldn't be too difficult. Next week, we're going to look at all the good stuff that happened in 2016, and Keith is just sitting here shaking his head going. It'll be a short, uh, short episode. Be, it'll be our first three-minute podcast. <laughs> exactly. Three. I was in three. I can stretch it out for a minute it's and a like half. It's like that, yeah. you know, in airplanes, you know, with that light reading. It's the book on Jewish athletes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Let's uh, <laughs> turn on the Jewish athlete. Sandy Koufax would roll over in his grave if he were dead. Um, but he's not. He's healthy. Um, so, Corey, you live in sunny California. Therefore, you know, in the sort of contrarian spirit of this show, let's start with you. Tell me, because I, I think we can get the very worst of 2016 out of the way, and then we'll start stretching for the things people missed. When you think 2016 and you think of the worst, I'm going to give you three shots at it, the three worst things of 2016 that happened as far as you're concerned. Donald Trump's election as president. Authoritarians emboldened both by President Obama's inaction and by President-elect Trump's evident support for their actions. And third, doing so little for Syria. Julia. Let me pull up my list. I, okay, (laughs) I would say uh, Brexit. It's very spontaneous. The show is really spontaneous. (laughs) Julia Uh, flips through her script. Yes. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Um. I would say Brexit, and and I would say the nomination of uh, Rex Tillerson to be Secretary of State, which, from what I've heard now, the Trump administration is um, their top priority is dismantling all sanctions against Russia and trying to work out a bilateral trade deal with Russia. So I would say that's oh, fuck. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, I mean it, it's, it's great like... for Russia, but I don't know how it you know. Russia's economy is what the size of Sweden's. Yeah, or Luxembourg, or someplace like that. Texas. It's, well, half no, half of the Russian economy is in Luxembourg, you know, okay. <laughs> and, Gen- and and Geneva, and then um, I would say the kind of the the crushing of Aleppo and what that spells for the 
for the Syrian conflict. I started this year spend, um, spending time with refugees in just outside of uh, Hamburg. And everybody wanted to go back, but they all said nobody nobody would go back if Assad stayed in power because they were afraid of the repercussions and they didn't want to live under his brutal regime. So it would kind of, it seems like with the fall of Aleppo, Assad is taking back the country and kind of cementing his hold on power. So that's sad. That's not good. Sad. <laughs> sad. The word of the year is sad. Exclamation point, but only delivered by tweet. Keith, you're shaking your head. I often shake my head. Yeah. Uh, no, I was thinking, uh, with the exception of Rex, which didn't even make it on my top 10 of awful, those were all on the list as well. But more broadly, the, he has a list, see? Well, I have a list, but I, I left it on my phone. I didn't bring my phone with me. That's he has difference. a list all the time. <laughs> he wakes up in the morning and goes, What are the 10 worst things about the world today? <laughs> that's, that's it's, not, sort it's, of... it's not far off, actually. <laughs> you can ask my boys. Um, <laughs> The, the one thing I would note, the um, the death of truth. His uh, two sons, Xanax and Zoloft Johnson. <laughs> the death of truth, I think, is a big casualty this year. Um, it's not like a discreet point, but, you know, from the Greeks through the Enlightenment, it was a pretty good run. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was sorry to see that go. And just from a selfish point of view, being in the fact-based media world, the fact that facts no longer exist complicates my daily existence and professional Or life. alternatively makes it much easier. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on, on where you're looking at it. Um, that and then to follow up on Brexit, it's basically all of Europe, with the exception of some peripheral countries, is, is a depressing grab bag of awfulness. Um, and then there's like Duterte, the, the Philippines, just yeah. rampant, absurd, murderous craziness in Asia Pacific. Well, okay. Well, look, I, I was going to sort of do a deep dive. We'll come back to it. Clearly, there's a recurring theme here, which is sad. Aleppo, sad. Yes, sad. Exactly. Aleppo and Syria as the really deep human tragedy of the year, um, and the rise of ethno nationalism from the United States to Europe through Russia, where it's promoted to the Philippines, around the world, as the deep, dark political story of the year seem to be the cross-cutting themes of these top three lists uh, of yours. Um, but, Corey, let's let's go down to the next level. Maybe maybe we'll do a little analysis after we've gone through. What, what, have, we, what have we missed in touching upon those? We've missed um, the discouraging public indifference to a presidential candidate not releasing his tax returns and a sitting president not responding more forcefully and publicly to expose Russian hacking. So I think public uh, passivity is uh, one of the worst things of the year. Referenda as Would a you means say, of- I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but I think we're on to something big. Would you say that Barack Obama was the most passive-aggressive president in American history? Yeah, I think I would, David. And I'm not even going to throw an 18th century William Henry Harrison or somebody at you. I'm just going to flat out agree that, yes, President Obama's kind of smug passivity is terrible foreign policy. Right. And, you know, the only thing that one could imagine that would be worse than that would be, you know, a raving asshole president who just did stupid shit all the time because he didn't know any better. And... 
complicated it by the fact that whatever instincts he does have are the wrong instincts. That would <laughs> that that might be worse, right? <laughs> yes, I believe we are on a toboggan ride from bad to worse, David. Right. Julia has just broken out a flask of tequila. Okay, I would include referenda as a means of deciding major national issues. Uh, we here in the great state of California were have been leaders in this bad decision of we have a, a ballot initiative process that essentially leeches any responsibility away from the legislature for sensible outcomes and watching the British take a national referenda on something like there's a reason that, that direct democracy is a bad way to decide enormously consequential national issues. And it's because you you tend not to get a thoughtful, sensible debate about where you're headed. You tend to get special interests capturing or the public uh, emotion of the moment. Legislatures are actually a really good way to weigh and balance consequences. And we in California get so much bad public policy by not doing it that way. And it has now burgeoned into, into an international problem as many states are choosing snap referenda or short-term referenda as a way to decide major national issues. The looming specter of direct democracy. If I could just, if I was going to say, it's not that direct democracy is always and inherently awful. I mean, the Swiss have managed to muddle through all right, and they decide basically everything by referendum. And, you know, ancient Athens did have a, a few good times. And as long as you have good and inspired leadership, right? If you think about, what was his name? Um, Th- th- uh, Themistocles? Themistocles. Uh, Themistocles, right? With the, with the whole thing with the fleet, right? And, and putting the silver revenues into building the fleet, right? Boom. Then you've got Salamis. Okay, so you can have direct You're democracy. Really, you but Corey's like, I'm in my zone. Okay, well, no, but see, the, when, what happened to William and Henry Harrison? We have that kind of leadership this year. And so we, we basically turned out these monumental decisions to an ill-informed and apathetic populace. And then we were surprised with what we got. Yeah, we do, we don't. We we went from Themistocles to Testes Elephantiases. I mean, you know, you know. This, so, in order to salvage this from the direction David's taking it, um, <laughs> let me point out that not only am I delighted by Keith's use of of attempted use Athens, at any rate. Uh, but the, the similarity that Athens and the Swiss have is a small electorate that's relatively cohesive, that has a strong sense of national identity and unity. And Well, that's putting and, a nice spin on it. Another is homogeneous that doesn't have people who look different in it. And in the case of Athens, actually, you know, kept out women and all the people they actually owned. Yes, David, that's true. Um, so in managing over diverse, large populations, uh, referenda very often become the tyranny of the majority because you take away the balancing and institutional factors that ensure rule of law and protection of minority rights. Okay, and that's, add, wait a second, can, that's Federalist number what, Julia? Themistocles. Themistocles. Uh, <laughs> that's always a good answer, Keith. It is now. Isn't it, is it, isn't, is, isn't it, Corey, it's like Federalist 10, right? <laughs> you know, I'm honestly not sure, David. So, so. Well, I'm sure some, I'm sure some pedant who listens to this show will immediately tweet out their 
which Federalist it was that was tyranny of the majority and which oh, act so. and which act of Hamilton tyranny of the majority is the hot new number. And which act of Hamilton the music. So David, I want yeah. you to know that on my list of best things for the year is Hamilton Mania, and I'm only half doing that to troll you. Oh my God! Can I just can I add to Corey's list of bad referenda? You know, we had the referendum in Colombia. That I mean, when I saw the outcome of that, I was like, "Well, President President Trump, here we come." And then uh, the more recent referendum in Italy that uh, cost Europe, uh, cost the EU, and cost uh, Matteo Renzi. You know, more of the same thing. Well, there's a lot. That look, said, that said, a, look, but, like there's but, a lot to be said for direct democracy because uh, look at our recent election, and and the difference there between the result in the uh, direct democracy part of the race and the kind of institutional moderated part. Wait, the direct no, democracy Julie, turned I out push okay. Back on that, I want to push back on that um, because I I think that. You don't get an American federal system without the Electoral College because otherwise California and New York dictate the terms for the entire country. Sounds and that's okay never to gonna me. be acceptable. You have New so, York values, yeah. <laughs> sounds um, sounds fine so to me. I know David has been on a tirade about the Electoral College as well, but I I just think that's wrong. You you don't get to national union without the electoral college. Okay, but I we agree have with that. National, I agree with that. You know, yeah. 240 years into the experiment, let's just own the idea that we have national union. We are over that. We are one country and giving disproportionate representation to people who live far from other people, probably for perfectly good reasons, is not a really good idea. And we've now got so a David, system that over-represents Rural America at the expense of urban America. That doesn't seem Dub fair. Doubly either. so, actually, thanks to the Senate. Right. So, again, as I choose to live far from other people, um, I'm not going to agree to a system that changes my representation. So you're going to have to find a better argument than that. Well, no, I don't know that I do have to find a better argument than that because the people who choose to live far from other people in a world where most people don't do agriculture anymore tend to be doing it for reasons that are not the reasons that I want to amplify with extra representation in my government. And so I kind of think that finding a system that gives them equal representation would be a perfectly good thing. I don't want you, because you choose to be antisocial and a kind of unibomber tendencies, to <laughs> I don't want you not to have your vote. I just don't think you ought to have two votes. <laughs> well said, David. <laughs> okay, Julia, give me something else to feel bad about. Oh, I've got several more things. Oh, okay, go on. Julia's done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and and we can just leave out the whole Trump cabinet because every friggin' day there's some new maniac dropped into the U.S. government. Most recently, given when we were taping this, this insane ambassador to Israel pick who is to I thought the— thought you were going to say Larry Kudlow. Oh, I Larry thought it was going to be Monica Crowley. Okay. Yeah, well, Monica Crowley. What could—I <laughs> tweeted this. Can that I just guess. be the top ten list, just yeah, the but, cabinet? But like, Here you have a president who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, a national security advisor who's clearly snapped and traffics in conspiracy theories, and now— And, wait, and has been reprimanded 
and investigated for mishandling classified mm. information. Where have I heard that before? Yeah, we're, and worse than Hillary. Clinton. And now he's picked his two top. Dep- now the president doesn't know anything, and 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 Flynn has cracked right. So for you know, we're going to turn to the next level to provide them with wisdom. And the two deputy national security advisors they've picked are both Fox commentators primarily. I, you know, I know these people a little bit, so fortunately, no one listens to this, but not heavyweights. Okay. Shocked. I'm what, shocked. Shock, not what's going on, Corey. You know these people. What when you see Monica Crowley picked as national security advisor? Do you like reach for the tequila? What is your response? So my response is that anyone who wants to get through to the president ought not to be writing transition papers or scholarly works. They ought to be on TV because that's the commonality in almost all of his picks. These are people he sees on TV which provides us an insight into how to get through to the president. That is a brilliant insight. And it provides us with an insight into the, the reality of Donald Trump's world. Yes, if it's I not on right. TV, it doesn't or exist. Or Twitter. It doesn't exist. If, if, and, and if uh, it, but it doesn't. No, Julia, you are overestimating. He exports to Twitter. He doesn't appear to import from Twitter. Like he doesn't uh-huh, read fair, what anybody fair, else fair, is fair. saying. It's only a projection mechanism for him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So so go on. There's that. And uh, what else was I going to say about it? Oh, yeah. So certainly true that Monica Crowley wouldn't be on foreign policy's list of top 100 uh, thinkers, but neither the, the, would Monica have Crowley ben, wouldn't ben be on Rhodes. foreign policy staff. And but let's like, be honest, neither listen. would have Ben Rhodes would also not have been on anybody's list. So so I cede you the point that these aren't heavyweights, but the job she's going into is also not filled by a heavyweight. Well, I agree. I agree, I agree with uh, with Corey. You know, one of the I think one of the but it didn't turn out well. We saw what happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. But to say that, you know, it's different. You know, Kudlow is different because how many people in that post have not had a Ph.D.? And the answer is zero. Okay, Ph.D. How many people have not had economics training? I mean, his his drug and alcohol abuse aside. Okay, this guy is completely unqualified for the job, which you know, would be shocking if we did this were not the administration of Ben Carson and my favorite. I'm sorry, the Ben Carson who got that job just because I think it had urban in the title. No, of course he did. Right. It was just like picking UN ambassador because her parents come from another country who has literally zero national security or foreign policy experience. But the best is Rick Perry, who, you know, just <laughs> proving that God has a sense of humor, goes on television and says, there are three agencies I'd like to limit. And then he forgets one of them. And then Trump, this nitwit, goes, hey, I have an idea. Let's put him in charge of that agency, the one he <laughs> forgot. My my daughter, the features editor at Jezebel, wrote an amusing story about this, which the headline was something like, dancing show loser given control of U.S. nuclear arsenal. (laughs) (laughs) It's just sad. It's beyond sad. It's an alternative universe. Look, the Russians have a a term for this. It's called laughing through the tears. I think that that's going to be us for the next eight years, as Trump has already said in his interview. When was it? Last week, where he talked about... uh, 
being in power for the next eight years. When, why, oh, when he said what? When he said uh, when he was explaining why he doesn't take intel briefings, he said, "Look, oh, I'm like a smart person, and I don't want to listen to the same thing over and over again for the next eight years." I was like, "Wait, wait what? a second! You spent a lot of time in Russia, right? Yes. Do you speak Russian? Yes. Okay. Could you just say what you said in Russian? Почему? Just uh, the part about you know uh, I'm a oh, smart. Oh, in case they've hacked this podcast. No, no, I just I just want people to know what this podcast is going to sound like in a few years. So if you just say, <laughs> you know how you say uh, podcast in Russian? Uh-huh. Podcast. Nice. Well, I know some Russian too, then. <laughs> okay. Um, I just want to keep going around the table because yeah. we've left out a lot of really bad stuff. Yeah, today. I want to give you an opportunity. That. Uh, Oh God! I've, there are so many things. Uh, the collapse of Venezuela, and uh, you know their hospital, but like really the collapse, like uh, you know famine and people dying and pools of blood on hospital floors for lack of uh, people giving away their children uh, this week because they can't any longer afford to feed them. Didn't ha- didn't uh, the Grimm brothers write something about that? Something, yeah, yeah, yeah. right, exactly. We, we've left out all of Africa, so do you want to talk about that a bit? I mean, like the Horn of Africa, what's going on in South Sudan, the catastrophes that continue to unfold in the central regions of Africa, with the Rohingya. Yemen. Wait, sorry. Also, I mean, right across the water, Yemen, who, the, this kind of the forgotten human tragedy of the last at least year. I, wa- I actually wanted to save this for the best thing that happened. This, but I, it's but like it's the best. The I can't. But I can't. But it, it, exactly. In 2016, it's a you know it's a Mobius strip of worst and best. Uh, but one of my favorite moments of this year was when uh, Prime Minister and former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev went down to Crimea, which Russia now has a hard time supplying with electricity and water and food uh, because. Turns out there was a logical reason that it was part of Ukraine because that's the only country it's connected to by land. And um, Medvedev went down there to the Crimeans who so supported joining Russia. And he said, "Um, so this obligation we picked up in 2014 is a little too heavy for us to bear. But you guys, you hang in there. Chin up. Wow. <laughs> literally, those were literally his words. He said, you hang in there, chin up. Wow. <laughs> That's... Like, is that best or worst? I don't know. It's worse. It's bad. <laughs> it's, really, it's really bad. Keith, is there other stuff? I mean, I know I what, can rely on you. Well, uh, no, for, for a Debbie Downer moment, I'm, I'm your man. Um, <laughs> I've, the, the collapse of um, the North Pole... Uh, the, the, oh yeah, the climate, right? Of that, the planet we live on. On the planet we yeah, live on, yeah. perhaps uh, some irretrievable ecosystem changes. I'm also thinking the Great Barrier Reef uh, bleaching uh, has reached kind of catastrophic tipping point levels, which may change the entire sort of balance of the waters and, and flora and fauna of, of lots of parts of the world. Uh, the Arctic is an absolute mess. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg on environmental things. You oh, can, that's hilarious. Well, I mean, you, you've no, got no, that. No, it was tip of the iceberg. No, the way I, oh, that you sorry. were going. No, <laughs> no, I was, I was just trying to think because uh, there's reasons that we could have been optimistic going into this year on the environment. Let me respond to that. Excuse me, Daddy. But, what's an iceberg? <laughs> uh, 
going. Keep going, Corey. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, get it uh, off your chest in the group the therapy session. There would be the political scandal in South Korea, neutralizing an important American ally. I'd put the election of Duterte in Philippines, neutralizing another important ally as one of the worst things of the year. Uh, deploying American military forces to NATO allied countries without building public support for for the undertaking. I'm in favor of deploying those forces, but but as with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the president has not done his due diligence of talking to the American people about why we're doing this. And it's one of many ways in which we are incorporating risk into our international activities by not building a strong foundation of public understanding and public support. And one more thing I would add to the list of the worst things is the realization that automation and not trade is what's driving American job losses, because that's actually a much harder problem to solve. Well, that gets me sort of to the next phase of this list, which is the giant asteroid heading for Earth that we don't know about. <laughs> that Putin is riding shirtless. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. But, but the, the, you know, we're like we've just sort of gone through the headlines and we could throw in the – you know, playboy nitwit who's become the king of Thailand and a bunch of things if we wanted to go country by country, you know, the rise of right-wing groups that haven't taken over yet or the continuing rule of nasty dictators in a bunch of places, all that, you know, that we, we can go on. But, but just... clearly there's some underlying trends yeah. that we're not paying any attention wait, to. Wait, I had, I had two, more, okay. two more bad things. One, um, the Kremlin hacking our presidential election. That was that was pretty bad. Yeah, no, that's also. That's I have to say, um, how does that rank? Does Keith, that is, like, Keith is like, oh, what the hell? Probably top five. But, I know, don't know. But, yeah. No, I, I'd actually subsume that under Trump's victory in the first place. So no, I was... think it's it's a separate and really bad thing. Um, we talked we talked about this a little bit on another episode of this podcast about how basically Putin has reversed the westernizing tides of the post-Cold War era and has, you know, exactly 25 years to the month has kind of renegotiated the terms at the end of the Cold War by projecting the Russian form of government, the Russian form of information onto the West. And part of that, I would add another, what I think was, for me, a really bad moment this year, um, the Pizzagate thing, the guy the guy with an assault weapon showing up to a family pizza parlor in northwest Washington, not because it's northwest Washington and we live in northwest Washington and we're, you know, the coastal um, coastal elite sponsored by George Soros, who I think is going to be Trump's next cabinet pick. <laughs> <laughs> because why the hell not? <laughs> but the fact that um, fake news, it, it was a... It was kind of underlining, highlighting the fact that fake news ultimately becomes reality for a lot of people and um, can become a violent reality. Okay, but let me let's let's take a step back. Corey mentioned something that I thought was really, you know, significant in the light of what I'm talking about, which is the asteroid heading towards Earth, which is the big trend <laughs> that we're not paying attention to that we really ought to be paying attention to. And movement towards d direct democracy is in this category. The, the rise of fake news and the collapse of truth is mm -hmm. in this category. But, you know, somewhere there's a guy who's just had a eureka moment with AI 
or cloning a bacteria or doing something else that is going to force us all to hit the reset button. And I'm just I just let's speculate a little bit on where we ought to be looking for the really big problems of the next 10 or 20 years that are not the headlines every day. Well, I think Corey brought up a good point with the notion about automation versus trade deals versus dislocation, um, because this is we've had you know a very slow process of automation so far in the U.S. industries. It's been 20, 30 decades in order to get penetration within certain industries. Within the next five years, you may have entire industries like long-distance truck driving or, or taxis uh, automated with potentially millions of people out of work suddenly and at a but time who, with, who wouldn't be happy to see all those Uber drivers go actually well no and so this is why I was trying to think does this go does automation and the trend towards things like smart cars and and you know uh, autonomous driving does that go in the good list or does that go in the terrible list because you know it's a nice well, it, little, it goes on the good list if you can figure out something for those people but to that's do. my point because right. then what do you what what's the real upside if you're putting 1.6 million people out of work at, at an age and, and probably with the skill set which is going to make it really tough to to repot and you probably noticed that just yesterday the carrier announced that they were going to take some of the money that they're saving in this great deal – actually making from the government this great deal that Trump made and automate the factory. Oh, right. So that actually the jobs they save, they're going to eliminate right. slowly right. over the next couple of years. Right. Great deal. That's the art of the deal. Right. Corey, lo- longer term trends. The proof by the Chinese that authoritarian capitalism – might work. Uh, it seems to me that, you know, for political liberals like me, I mean, small L liberal, not big L liberal. Um, oh, you or, signed that or, letter, Corey. You crossed the line. <laughs> People who believe you're one of that, us you know, now, Corey. That you listen to NPR and and personal liberty are important. You know, China's had a pretty good run over the last forty five years of showing that. Uh, producing prosperity can, in fact, prevent people from demanding individual rights and political participation. And this is the big real-time test of liberalism. And I hope it cracks. I hope the Chinese can't continue to succeed at this. But the data is flowing their direction, not the direction of us liberals. Julia? I'm going to stick with this undermining of uh, truth and the rise of fake news. I think one of the developments of this year uh, has forced me to reconsider the Internet as um, and its future development as, um, you know, I'm starting to feel like where the monks is sitting and decorating uh, meticulously worded and decorated Bible pages and some asshole is, you know, is printing out. Um, Martin Luther's theses on a printing press and, um, you know, undermining our the institution that we live off of. And I just I can't see how um, I used to be very optimistic about, you know, this the kind of symbiosis of the Internet and traditional media. I'm becoming less less and less optimistic, having traveled around the country during this election and seeing how little trust there is in the quote unquote, mainstream media and how few people read it. I mean, BuzzFeed had an amazing story about how, um, but BuzzFeed actually does great reporting. I was about to say, that's proving (laughs) your point. But but they did, no, but they, but they have also assumed some of the, uh, some of the roles and obligations of a traditional media organization. They have reporters, they report, they fact check, they edit, et cetera. But they had a great piece showing how that, you know, traffic 
for fake news stories and stories from the New York Times and the Washington Post break down. And guess what? The fake news stories get far more traffic. I heard so much untruth around the country and people um, a priori don't believe you because you're coming from the coast. You're telling them you read it in the New York Times or you saw it on CNN. And it turns out they get their information from YouTube and Facebook and word of mouth. And uh, where does that leave journalism? Where does that leave our role as, you know, a check and a balance on the government? Uh, where does that leave the very idea of information and truth and objectivity? Can't say I'm very optimistic. Well, that's not a terrible place to end a terrible broadcast, the worst broadcast <laughs> of the ER yet, um, as we focused on all of the bad things that happened this year. There is a counterargument, but we'll leave that to the next week ER episode, uh, which will be about the best of 2016, possibly the shortest episode that we <laughs> do. But within each of these dark stories, there are positive ones, and hopefully we will come to them. But in keeping with the spirit of this podcast uh, uh, and going back to an earlier point, Julia, let me turn to you and ask you to thank Keith and Corey in Russian for the participation in this podcast, because I really think that's a, a nice punctuation point for the year. Спасибо всем, Киту, Кори, Дэвиду. Спасибо всем, что вы участвовали в этом подкасте. Он был очень интересный. И, пожалуйста, послушайте нас на следующей неделе, когда мы будем обсуждать все самые лучшие моменты 2016 года. Okay, that sounded like way more than what David actually asked you to say. The Russians are very verbose. Have you seen their books? <laughs> yeah, wait, can I just add? I was once in a Moscow bookstore and I saw a copy of War and Peace and it was surprisingly short. And then I realized it was like an edited version and the cover <laughs> advertised it was like more war, less peace, fewer, <laughs> fewer philosophical digressions, less French. <laughs> And it was and it was only like 700 pages. That's fantastic. Progress. That's progress, fantastic. folks. Thanks, everybody, Thank for you. all of that. Please join us again next week. You have been listening to Foreign Policies, the ER podcast. I'm David Rothkoff, and I've been your host. The program is produced by Maria Ori and Ann Kingston. For more information about FP, and to subscribe to this and our Global Thinkers podcast, please visit foreignpolicy.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. Thank you very much for joining us.